Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, our church around the world celebrates Palm Sunday. And every year, as part of the celebration, we read the passion of Jesus Christ, whether it's from the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, or Luke, depending upon the liturgical year. Therefore, for this Palm Sunday, we read from the Gospel of Mark. Now, what's the hidden danger? Familiarity. We say to ourselves, oh, I heard this story before. And then we tend to overlook certain aspects of the story that work to draw us in to the mystery of Jesus' passion and death. Therefore, what I want to do is to point out just a few, few aspects in a story that is so incredibly rich in spiritual symbolism. First, notice how the story opens up. When Jesus was in Bethany reclining at table in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of perfumed oil, costly, genuine, spikered. She broke the alabaster jar and poured it over Jesus' head. The woman breaks the jar open, and in doing so, now all the oil in that jar rushes completely upon Jesus Christ. This woman holds nothing back. This is an overwhelming and superabundant gesture on her behalf. Notice also where she pours the oil, on top of Jesus' head. What's the symbolism here? In the Old Testament, only priests, prophets, and kings were anointed with pouring oil over their heads. Remember the story of King David, in which the prophet Samuel searches out David to anoint him as the new king of Israel. Once Samuel finds David, he does the exact same thing as this woman. He, too, breaks a jar of oil and then pours it completely over David's head. David is drenched in oil. In that gesture, now God has anointed David as the new king of Israel. The woman is doing the same thing. She gets it. She understands who Jesus is and what he is about to do. And therefore, she anoints him, just like all the other kings of Israel were anointed before Jesus. When will Jesus claim his throne? When he mounts the cross. Then the whole world will see that Jesus Christ is truly the king of the universe. He is the king who, just like this woman who poured the oil over Jesus, will give himself completely away. He will hold nothing back when he mounts the cross. Jesus will be the king who rules only through his suffering and death. Later on in the story, Jesus celebrates the Last Supper with his apostles. In doing so, he institutes the very first Mass, the Mass that we now celebrate today and have for centuries on end. Now, what's interesting 
is scholars refer to the Mass that Jesus instituted as the new Christian Passover. Remember now, Jesus, as well as all the Jews, have made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And the Passover was the annual celebration in which the Jews would ritually remember God delivering them from slavery in Egypt and ultimately, through Moses, leading them to the Promised Land. This was a significant event for the Jews. It would be like Christmas, Easter, and the 4th of July all wrapped up into one for us. Jews throughout all of Israel would descend upon Jerusalem to celebrate this great celebration in the temple. Just to give you an indication of how significant a celebration like this was, Jerusalem typically had a population of about 30,000 people. Well, during the week of Passover, it would swell to 130 to 150,000 people. And so this was a significant celebration. Now, why call our Mass the new Christian Passover? Because just as Moses, through the power of God, led the Jews out of slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land, now Jesus, through his death and resurrection, will liberate us out of our slavery, the slavery of sin and death, and now lead us to the promised land, in this case, for us, heaven. Further along in the story, Jesus leads his apostles into the Garden of Gethsemane and begins to pray. He asks Peter, James, and John to pray with him, but the apostles fail to do so. They cannot stay awake. Now, Jesus keeps coming back to them and waking them up, and yet they keep falling asleep. Now, despite their failure and their disappointment, Jesus does not give up on them. Notice when he says, Get up, let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. In that, Jesus continues to invite the apostles to continue to accompany him. Despite our own weaknesses, despite our own faults, Jesus will not give up on us either. Remember just a few weeks ago, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul writes, God is rich in mercy because of his great love for us. Despite all of our failings, Jesus Christ continues to invite us into his life to accompany him. He won't give up on us, and therefore, we shouldn't either give up on Christ. Next in the story, we hear about this young man in the garden. Mark writes, Now a young man followed Jesus, wearing nothing but a linen cloth about his body. The soldiers seized him, but he left the cloth behind and ran off naked. Now that's an odd detail that St. Mark would include in this gospel story. The young man is wearing a white linen cloth. Well, this symbolizes our baptism. We too were clothed with a white garment after our baptism. Therefore, this man represents all baptized Christians. Christianity, its beliefs, values, the life it calls us, is countercultural to so many things in our society and culture. And not just today, but it has been throughout the centuries. Christians have been challenged for what we believe in and hold true. At the moment of truth, do we run and leave behind our identity as baptized Christians 
like this young man did? Or do we stand with Jesus regardless of the consequences? Later on in the story, Jesus is crucified on Mount Calvary. It began, St. Mark tells us, at 9 o'clock in the morning. Yet at noon, darkness falls and continues until 3 o'clock. Now, what's so interesting about this aspect of the story is typically from noon to 3 is the brightest time of any given day. And yet now it's pitch black. What's the implication? Well, the entire cosmos now is in mourning. St. Cyprian, when reflecting upon this part of the Passion, wrote, All of creation was in distress over the death of its creator, Jesus Christ. The sun in particular withdrew its rays and looked away, lest it be forced to gaze upon the death of its creator dying on the cross. How powerful a statement. Finally, before Jesus dies, he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, Lema Sambachthali, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does Jesus truly believe that his Father has abandoned him? No. Jesus, the Father, as well as the Holy Spirit, have been together before this universe or even time existed. They will never abandon one another. They will always be together. Instead, by making this statement, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus is praying Psalm 22. If you turn to Psalm 22, the very first verse of this psalm is, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Psalm 22 is the prayer of the righteous sufferer. Although innocent, he is mocked and abused by the ungodly. He therefore turns to God in his distress and petitions God for deliverance. By citing this opening line, Jesus now expresses his agony as he experiences the full brunt of rejection. This evokes the entire plot of Psalm 22, where the sufferer's humiliation gives way to his vindication. Thus, Jesus does not consider his passion meaningless or a mark of failure. Rather, he trusts in God and surrenders his entire spirit to the Father. Like the innocent sufferer, Jesus is confident that the Father will turn his misery into victory. And therefore, Jesus is the righteous sufferer. He's the one that is completely innocent, and yet he suffers for the world. And therefore, it is quite appropriate that Jesus prays this prayer, the prayer of the righteous sufferer, moments before he dies upon the cross. Essentially, Jesus is living into this prayer himself. He agonizes over his suffering, yet he places his complete confidence, trust, and hope that the Father will deliver him from this suffering. Now, when you read Psalm 22, essentially you're reading the script for the Passion of Christ because it talks about exactly what will happen to Jesus from being mocked on the cross to soldiers casting dice for his garments. Furthermore, what's so amazing about Psalm 22 is that it was written by King David, 
almost a thousand years before Christ was ever born. Yet, in precise detail, it tells us what Jesus, the righteous sufferer, will endure. Friends, have we been the righteous sufferer ourselves? Have there been times in which we were treated unjustly or unfairly and therefore suffered because of it? Well, what we have to do is follow the example of Jesus Christ. Pray Psalm 22. And in doing so, now we, yes, lament our suffering. We agonize over it. We offer it up to God. Yet at the same time, like Jesus Christ, as he spoke his last words before his death, we too place our complete confidence, faith, hope, and trust that, yes, the Father will deliver us from this suffering and agony. My friends, as we begin Holy Week, I strongly encourage you to please read The Passion of Jesus Christ in Mark's Gospel. Furthermore, I strongly, strongly encourage you, please read Psalm 22. Meditate over it, pray over it. This is an incredibly powerful psalm. Why? Because this psalm was on the lips of Jesus Christ moments before he died. And when you pray this psalm, open yourself up, surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, just like Christ surrendered himself on the cross, and then allow Christ to grab you and draw you in to the mystery of his passion. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.